Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I'm Mark Anthony, and this is Demolition News Radio, episode 89. On Friday last week, I returned to the Didcot A power station, the scene of an accident that killed four demolition men on the 23rd of February 2016. I went primarily to pay my respects to those four men who were taken from their families and friends on that fateful day. I went also to be part of a BBC radio show that looked back on the events that unfolded on that day and the events that have unfolded since. This is that show. Uh, now, on Friday, it was two years since the devastating news broke that the old boiler house at Didcot A power station had partly collapsed. This morning, we're reflecting on the tragedy and remembering those who tragically died. Let's take you back to the moment we told you the news and what unfolded from there. At least one person has been killed this afternoon after a building collapsed at Didcot Power Station. It's the end of that rectangular building. Just looks like it's crumbled away. Police and the ambulance service are treating it as a major incident. We recognised we were facing a very, very severe incident in terms of a building collapse and people missing. And just at this stage, may I just express my absolute sympathy and deep thoughts to all of the families involved. We are doing our very best to secure the return of their loved ones as soon as we can. The fire service says the scale of this incident is unprecedented. I'm just a few yards from the police cordon outside, people starting to leave flowers there. The integrity of the remaining building still gives us a major concern. It obviously was being prepared for demolition, so our crews are having to take real care. You know, any other country, right, they'd be scrambling to get these men out. This is England, and look what they're doing. Nothing. We want them home. Us families are living this every day. I assumed when someone is a victim of, you know, the most horrendous disaster, you know, your husbands are, are dying in the most awful manner, that both the government and also the companies responsible would do all that they can to sort of put your needs, your wishes and support at the very, very centre of what they're doing. And unfortunately, that didn't happen at all. Every time you look at it, you just think of the poor people that were still under there. And it's just a shame there's been so much politics and bureaucratics involved to stop the process. Just a tragic shame all round. BBC Radio Oxford's Amanda Della was on the scene back on that wintry evening. And she was there yesterday morning as the recovery operation moved into a new phase. More than a dozen staff from the emergency services and the power station gathered by the main entrance to take part in a moment of shared grief. It's taken 200 days to find the body of the last missing worker, John Shaw. It took just a few minutes for him to leave Didcot Power Station for the last time. Well, John, along with Christopher Huxtable, Michael Collings and Ken Cresswell lost their lives in the tragedy, but it took many months to find the bodies of all four men. Reverend Hannah Reynolds is the Reverend at St Peter's in Didcot. She explains how the church there remembers those who died. As a church, we do... Um remembering pretty much every day um it's not just something we do in november um, and we have the names of chris john ken and mick written in our memorial book so every 23rd of february we remember them and we remember their families and we pray for them collectively um, so that will be something that st peter's will be doing um, as long as it's as long as it's standing
And during those memorials, a poem called Not How Did He Die, But How Did He Live is read out. Not how did he die, but how did he live? Not what did he gain, but what did he give? These are the units to measure the worth of a man as a man, regardless of his birth. Nor what was his church, nor what was his creed, but had he befriended those really in need? Was he ever ready, with words of good cheer, to bring back a smile, to banish a tear? Nor what did the sketch in the newspaper say? But how many were sorry when he passed away? Lovely stuff, hey? I, I had just started here at BBC Radio Oxford that afternoon, about a month uh, beforehand, and I was on the news, reading the news that afternoon when the news first broke, and something came through about four o'clock. Someone had called in that there'd been a sort of a puff of a puff of smoke and a rumble, and we weren't sure what was going on, first of all, whether there'd been an explosion or, or something else had happened. And then uh, as the afternoon went on, it became clearer, and then immediately your thoughts think, oh, goodness me, was there someone inside when this happened? And and unfortunately, there was. Unfortunately, there were four uh, people ahead. And uh, one of the people watching all of that unfold that afternoon and over the next few days uh, was Mark Anthony from Demolition News, who we've spoken to throughout. And uh, he came in on The Breakfast Club on Friday morning and I asked him whether his background in demolition could prepare him for what lay ahead. I don't think anything prepared me for... I, I was there the following day. I mean, there was still dust in the air on uh, when I got there the following morning um, and even though I'd been through the boiler house seeing half of it on the ground it just beggared belief you know you're talking about 20,000 tons of mangled steel it's just you know the, the, the task was just unbelievable I, I think you tend to see things from a demolitions perspective you, you tend to see them as a an ongoing process whereas this was just so sudden and, and, and so insurmountable it was just just couldn't describe it really Insurmountable is a great word because, you know, such a huge task lay ahead of the the police, the fire service, the, the ambulance, the specialist crews that came in. You had people locally bringing cakes and, you know, people working through the night and, um, you know, just a, a sort of a really enormous task that they faced. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, I mean, I, I'm on and off demolition sites all the time, um, and you, you tend to look at those as a, a sort of a sequential thing, whereas this just presented everybody, the emergency services and everybody, with a, a problem that needed solving there and then. Um, and I, you know, I, I was there, as I say, on the, on the day after, and the police and the ambulance service were doing a phenomenal job. Um, I was blown away by the support that the local people were giving to the police and, and, and that kind of thing. But it just when when you looked at it, it just you couldn't imagine that six months later we'd still be talking about the fact that four guys or three of the four guys were still missing, yeah. uh, despite the fact that you know twenty thousand tons of steel in in demolition terms twenty thousand tons of steel is not that big a deal. You know if it was if it was a, a normal circumstance we'd have that done and dusted in a few days. But this obviously as soon as you throw in the the forensic examination and that kind of thing, it just it was just going to be ongoing and ongoing for months and months and months. So talk to me about the impact it's had on the on the demolition industry. Have things already changed because of it? Unfortunately, no, they haven't changed, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges the demolition industry faces now. Um, we probably more than just about anybody apart from the families involved 
need to know exactly what caused it. Now, I know Coleman and Company have carried out their own investigation and have said that they've discovered things that need reviewing and, and certain practices that will need to be challenged. But obviously they don't want to prejudice any potential uh, court case or anything like that. So that all of that information is now locked up in, in bureaucracy and red tape and investigation. And we've got about 200-odd power stations coming down across Europe as we speak. You know, we need that information now, not in two, three, four years' time. Now, obviously, this isn't the first case of its kind, although it's, you know, it's, it's going to have impact for years to come. Would you have expected answers by now? No, unfortunately, I wouldn't. Um, I, I, certainly, in, in a day or two after the, the accident happened, um, I, I wrote a piece about the fact that the HSE are now saying that the investigation and prosecution of a fatality is about three and a half years. You, you stir in the fact that you've got 20,000 tonnes of steel to go through, you've got all those witness statements, and the fact that it was four fatalities in one, and it was always going to be a long process. But, you know, we're, as I say, we're, we're two years in exactly today, and we're, we're literally no closer to finding out exactly what caused it. If you would like to help support this show, Demolition News, or The Demolition Magazine, please consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash demolition news to find out more.